That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge-watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog, because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Well, you saw it as uh, as well as I did last night as uh, the Blazers, as the NBA draft lottery went to commercial break, were looking pretty good. Were you not feeling like the basketball, the NBA basketball in the state of Oregon, were you not feeling like it was at its best last night, or at least a high point for excitement in, in the recent couple seasons, two draft lotteries in a row? The Blazers, as it went to commercial break last night in the NBA draft lottery, we were carrying it live right here in the show. You know, it was evident that the Blazers were in the top four. And I got to tell you, I talked to a whole bunch of friends and other media members, and I said, what did you think when the draft lottery went to commercial break? Right, Because the whole point of sports, the whole point of all of this that we're engaged in is uh, it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be a diversion. It's supposed to, you know, like when I, when I was a kid, Calgon had a commercial. There were two commercials I remember. One was Calgon, take me away. And the other one was that Nest Tea commercial where uh, the guy drinking the iced tea would fall back into the swimming pool on a hot day. Always wanted to do that. I don't know how he did it. He just kind of, you know, fell back right into the pool and they, and they you know, it was like a, a splash of coolness. That's what sports is supposed to do for us. So last night, uh, as part of the NBA draft lottery, uh, you know, you had the Blazers in play as they go to commercial break. And I got to be honest, I got sucked into it a little bit. During the commercial break, you know, I was like, they're going to get the number one pick. Victor Wembanyama is coming to Portland. It's going to happen. This is, this is a thing. And, uh, you know, then the, then the reveal happened. And I'm going to play the audio. Make sure that channel's up. Then the, the reveal happened. In the NBA draft goes to the Houston Rockets. Feeling pretty good at this point, Stephen. You know. Yeah, feel, feeling pick, good at this point. I was pick, uh, I was excited. Pick four goes to the Rockets. Pick five goes to the Pistons. Blazers are in the top three. You know, I had no doubt because we'd been here before. 2007, I had no doubt they were going to get the top pick. And yet it continued. And they didn't get the top pick. In the end, that's how it ended up. Uh, I want I want to hear from you, uh, you know, today as I come forth. I want to play that again. Let's just start over pretend like I never did it. The fourth pick in the NBA draft goes to... The Houston Rockets. Okay, at that point, Stephen, are you thinking they're going to get the number one pick? I, I was because we had been talking about it. We have been, uh, you know, hoping for it. We're, we're, we were manifesting it throughout the whole week, the whole yeah. day. I, I for felt weeks. Good. For weeks. For weeks. I, yeah, I felt I felt really good at that point, John. I'm not going to lie. 
Yeah, and I thought they're going to do it. They're going to get it. And, you know, and I was thinking about a lot of things. Some things were crossing my mind that weren't all positive. Like, there was a lot of positive. I was thinking about Blazer fans who had suffered with this team through two lotteries, and I was thinking about Blazer fans who had, you know, probably thought they were never going to see a team play deep into the playoffs again, maybe in their lifetime. I got a lot of Blazer fan friends who were like, they're wasting my time. This is no good. I thought about the fact that, um, you know, there are a lot of diehard fans over the years who have who have uh, poured their disposable income and their rooting interest and their passion into this franchise. And, and, and look, I, I kind of joke about it, but I'm kind of not joking. Like, it's a bit of an ab- abusive relationship between this franchise and its fan base. So, Because over the years, there just have been a lot of moments that weren't proud moments. But I also had kind of another thought, too. I was sitting there thinking about Jody Allen and Burt Cold. And Jody Allen, who is the trustee of the Trailblazers, I thought to myself, gosh, she's going to get Victor Wembanyama. Is she going to know what to do with him? Is she going to squander his career the way that they have squandered Damian Lillard's career? It kind of was creeping into my mind, but, th- but I was mostly staying positive. It's just the skeptic in me, it's the journalist in me, who is going, you know what, do they know what to do with this if they win the lottery? Do they know, will they maximize it? You know, there were some thoughts, like, you know, are they the right franchise? Is the NBA going to roll over here and go, no, 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 do over, do over? Uh, And then it continued. And, of course, the Blazers did not get the pick. And I don't know why, we can't play anything. Okay, so bottom line, Blazers don't get the pick. Um, I, I started thinking about it last night. Immediately after the show, I see on social media that the Blazers' front office is going to um, release a campaign where they are basically declaring for the world to know that they're build, building around Lillard. Now, I found this puzzling. you know. And tell me if I'm just crazy here, but if you are going to build around Damian Lillard, you know, I would not want to signal to the rest of the NBA – that I would potentially be trading pick number three. Like, the the way to create leverage, if you're Joe Cronin, the Blazers GM, the way to, you know, create leverage is, is by saying, hey, having pick number three is super significant. This is a big deal. In fact, he said that. Three is, three is significant. Three is, uh, there's going to be some really good players available at three that um, could be great for us or somebody else, depending on how we, you know, approach this, this draft. All right, a little wishy-washy at the end there, but mostly gets that right, I think. You know, hey, this is going to be significant. But the last thing you would want to do as an organization is signal to the NBA that you are trading this pick. And I feel like the Blazers, with their marketing campaign, signaled to the rest of the NBA that they're probably going to trade pick number three. And they are not going to put another 20-year-old player alongside Damian Lillard. And I think that is a bit of a mistake. I also, the more I thought about it last night and early this morning, I arrived in a in a place of peace with Lillard's career. Um, he has been incredibly loyal to the Blazers organization. He has been uh, he has been by NBA standards. I don't know if there's a better case, a better example of loyalty. Maybe somebody like Tim Duncan. Maybe um, you know I'm trying to think of but small market stars who stayed. Like LeBron was from Cleveland. He still ditched Cleveland. He came back, but he still ditched Cleveland. And then he ditched it again after winning a, a championship there. But, you know, when you look at small market teams, there are examples from Chris Paul to James Harden to Kevin Durant to Russell Westbrook. There are, you know, just wonderful examples of star players 
who did their time and then said, enough with the loyalty. I'm, I've got to be loyal to my, to my pocketbook. And then they went out and they chased championships and larger market opportunities. And Lillard has not done that. And maybe it's the Weber State in him. Maybe it's the chip on my shoulder. I wasn't highly recruited. This is the team that believed in me that is in him. And I appreciate that to a large extent. But I am now left facing a reality with Damian Lillard. I believe that the Blazers organization has to be really careful right now. Yes, uh, uh, that my first glance is if you can build around Damian Lillard, of course you would want to build around Damian Lillard. But we have been here before. It feels like Bill Murray and Groundhog Day. You know, here we are in year 12 of Lillard's career, and the Blazers are sending out an email, a marketing email, announcing that their their plan is to build around Lillard. Now, I started thinking to myself, who was that email for? Was the email for fans? Was it to a was it to signal to fans, hey, you know what? Um, buy tickets. Seriously, we're building around Lillard. He's going to be here. Maybe. Or was the email to Damian Lillard? Was it a signal to Lillard, you know, who is on record saying he doesn't want to have to grow up another 20-year-old teammate? Um, were they signaling to Lillard that, hey, we're doing what you said you wanted us to do, and, in fact, we're putting it in writing and blasting it out to our fan base as it went out? Now, I don't know, but it made me really think about the fact that the Blazers are very different than other organizations. There's no way most organizations are going to send out that kind of email. Uh, they're not going to be trying to sell the idea that they're going to trade the pick and and go young and build around you know their star player that you know they take a very different approach and in fact I don't think that most organizations except maybe the uh, San Antonio Spurs who got the number 1 pick to send something out last night it's just very different we are a different market we are it's a bit of a fishbowl but I was left today really thinking about the Blazers not Damian Lillard the Blazers like, you know, the number three pick in the draft, the number 23 pick in the draft, a uh, couple of other young players and, and Anthony Simons that are interesting that you could build around. Like, there's, it's not like the cupboard's bare for the future. But we're talking about a guy who's going to turn 33 years old in July, a guard who's going to turn 33. We're talking about the possibility that if you are building around Lillard because you don't have cap space, uh, you have very few tangible assets outside of those young players that would be attractive to other teams because you, do, you know, they don't have a pile of draft picks. I'm, I'm left thinking, you know, like, you know, Danny Ainge went to the Jazz a year ago, came through the doors and traded Donovan Mitchell, picked up a bunch of draft picks, some good young players, and Utah has a trajectory now that includes an arsenal of assets. Like, they could make a move. In fact, Utah, if the Blazers were going to trade Damian Lillard, could be a trade partner because of the assets that they have they have accumulated by, by trading Donovan Mitchell to Cleveland. So it's interesting to me to kind of look at the Blazers' future and go, okay, are you going to mortgage your future? The number three pick, possibly Anthony Simons and or Shaden Sharp, you know, one or the other. Uh, are you going to mortgage that to keep Damian Lillard for two more years and try to try to do this for two more years? Is it worth it? I think it's a real dilemma for the organization, and I don't blame people who say, hey, I really like seeing Lillard. 
I would fear that the next couple of years would be a dumpster fire for this organization. Like, I get it. If that's your tactic, I understand it. But I just think, you know, winning organizations, championship organizations, they know when to pivot. You don't have to smack them in the face and hit them over the head with it. They know when to pivot. Lillard's going to make $45.5 million next season, $48.8 million in two years, 58.5 in three years. And I kind of worry, like, at $58.5 million in 2025-2026, he will be 35 and 36 years old that year. Maybe he ages well. Maybe he remains a fringe All-NBA player. He was third-team All-NBA this year. Maybe he, he does all of that. But clearly, he is your asset. He is your future if you, if you care to pivot and turn him into the future. And I believe that his contract should be utilized to position the franchise for a brighter future. That's where I sit. This new plan, it's like, it's like day-old bread, man. I, I've seen this plan. I don't have confidence that Joe Cronin, the GM, and it's not personal. I just don't have confidence given that he doesn't have assets. He's not going to be able to attract a free agent signing that is significant. And, you know, are they going to put a marginal player alongside Lillard next season, two seasons from now? Get a little older, trade away a player like Anthony Simons or Shaden Sharp that might have a bright, bright future. Trade the number three pick. That could be a good player at three. Could be Brandon Miller from Alabama. Could be somebody else. I don't know. But I'm really leery of giving up your future for a little bit of short-term, hey, let's sell some tickets. Lillard's coming back because it feels like that's what it's all about. I don't know. Steven, I kind of feel like you and I are on the same page, but I want to hear from callers as well. 503-417-7575. Had the Blazers landed the number one pick yesterday? Very different story today. Very different open to the show. Would have been crazy different. Because I would have loved to see Lillard alongside Victor Wembanyama. But right now, I know that the franchise has to make a very difficult decision, and I don't think they have the stomach to do it. Steven, where do you stand? I'm going to push back a little bit. On this, you said they don't have many assets. I think that number three pick is an unbelievable asset. Uh, and the reason I say that is with the Hornets getting the second pick, there's a question if they're going to pick Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller. Like That's a real debate now where it was thought Scoot Henderson was going to go number two no matter what. But the Hornets have LaMelo Ball, same position, so they may not draft him. If he goes three, I think a lot of teams that are rebuilding are going to want that guy to rebuild around. By most drafts and scouts, analysts, type of people like that, Scoot Henderson would be a number one pick in most NBA drafts. But this is a Victor Wimbanyama draft. There was no chance he was going to go over him. So I think that number three pick, like Joe Cronin said, is actually really valuable. Now, I agree with you. Do I trust the Blazers to make the right decision, to make a good decision? Not necessarily. But it will be interesting to see what they do. To me, it seems like the Blazers are going to trade the draft pick. Like They're not even going to attempt to look at who's out there in the draft. They're going to be trying to trade this pick no matter what. And I think that message they send out to the fans saying we're building around Damian Lillard. I think that's what they were saying. But I'm with you. I would explore the draft pick to no end because I understand Damian Lillard is still awesome. I understand he was an all-NBA player, but he is getting old. And that contract, by the end of it, it's going to be a bad contract. It just will be. Dame's not going to be able to keep up this type of production for the rest of his career. You can build around Scoot Henderson, Shaden Sharp, if you ended up, yeah, if you that's ended what up, I wanted. I would like them to keep that pick because, if, because it, it, that pick and Anthony Simons and Shaden Sharp, to me, the timeline for that group 
is very different than the 33-year-old Damian Lillard. Yeah, if you build around Shaden Sharp, Scoot Henderson as your backcourt, you trade Dame, you trade Anthony Simons, it's that backcourt, and you're going to have about five, six first-round draft picks. That's what you're building around, and that's not a terrible place to start at. So I think the Blazers have to explore everything. I think if I'm betting on it, I'm betting on the Blazers are trading this draft pick, trying to get a veteran to appease Dame, appease the fans, and somewhat uh, try to contend for a playoff spot. Yeah, this next it, year. and, and what are they contending for though? That's the thing that I'm stuck on. Like, you know, if you could make a case that hey, they could win the West. Like, if if do you have confidence that Joe Cronin could be the architect that could put together in one off season, uh, change you from hey first, fifth worst record in the league to hey you are challenging for the Western Conference championship? Uh, then it's a different equation, but. I just don't think – I think on top of the fact that, you know, I think he's limited with assets because I kind of – I look at the three pick and I go, that should be part of the future. Like, don't give that up. Don't mortgage your future for, for Lillard's present. And and I'm and I'm caught, though, too, with, you know, Cronin having been on the job for, what, a year and a half? You know, he, he's he's relatively new to build, to building and, and, you know, orchestrating a roster. And as an architect, I just – I don't have a lot of confidence that he can do this in one off season with an absentee owner and limited cap space. Let's go to the phone lines. Jeremy is in Salem. Jeremy, where do you stand on this? I say we need to trade Dame. It's time. It's been time. Um, we got the three pick. We got Shaden Sharp. We got Simons. We got some other young talent on that team. And uh, I say rebuild, and I think we'll be better off in one or two years then try to build around Dame right now. Yeah, I, and, and, and it's no disrespect to Damian Lillard, is it? Like, I mean, I think you, Jeremy, as a Blazer fan, you love the guy. Oh, yeah, and and, and then another thing is I would love to see him in May or June try to win a title. You know, obviously the Blazers aren't going to win a title in the next two years. Wait a minute, you would I'm root for him? To... Hold on, he goes to, let's say he goes to Utah, and Utah, Danny H. Did, does what he did in Boston. He's got a whole bunch of draft picks. Would you root for Lillard to win a championship? Yes, I would. I whatever yeah. team, even if it's the Lakers. Wow. Yeah, I think there's a lot of Blazer fans who feel that way. I, I think it's really unusual. This is not like Clyde Drexler going to Houston. It, I, you know, today I wrote the column at JohnKinzano.com about this, and you know, I got some pushback on social media from the Blazer honks who who I I expect them to push back because you know they they love Damian Lillard. I get it. You love him. And you've been this, you know, he's been in with you as a Blazer fan. But I was really interested in the comment section because in the comment section, what I was hearing was a lot of people who said, you know what, I want him to win a championship. And I thought that is very unusual. I don't think a lot of other markets would see a star player leave and then turn around and go, I hope that guy wins and openly cheer for that guy to get a title. And and for the thing is, is like for me to say to explore a trade for Dame, it's no indictment on Dame. It's an indictment on the rest of the roster. I just don't think that the Blazers are really that close. So like if you really go if the goal is try to win a championship, which is always my goal, like it may be better to explore building for the future. And, and it's no no indictment on Dame because he's awesome, but the rest of the roster doesn't match up with him. Darren is called in. Darren, welcome to the conversation. Hey, I kind of am on the other end. I'm a huge Lillard fan and I know having a kid rooting for a guy like Lillard and kind of want him wanting to be here. I'd rather just stick it out with him. Let's, let's do it with him. Cause he wants to be here. Who knows what the next draft pick's going to do after four years, they might leave too. I'd rather stick it out with this guy who's had so many like iconic moments with our team and a lot of big 
big shots, big things that have happened that have been like national things that have happened. I mean, the Lakers won the championship in the bubble, but I'd rival to say that the shot that he made against OKC where he's waving goodbye to Russ Westbrook is almost a bigger thing than than what the Lakers did winning a championship in the bubble. So I say we ride with Lillard all the way till he wants to go or he retires. Yeah, and, and I don't blame I don't blame Blazer fans who feel like Darren. I don't I get it. I get the connection he's been in with you. He's been loyal to you. There've been nice moments, but my my reservation with clinging to this era and the charade that they are really going to build around him, you know, again, I agree with Steven. They're not that close. Secondarily, I don't want the Blazers to mortgage their future to hang on to Damian Lillard now and, you know, give up the number three pick, give up um, an asset that is a young player like, uh, like Anthony Simons, and then end up with, hey, they're a little older and a little better, but in two to three years, when Lillard's contract at $58.5 million a year is a bad contract for a 35, 36-year-old guard, um, hey, the assets are all gone. They've aged out, too. And, and I don't think you're better off because of it. I think it's a tricky position to be in. The Blazers have themselves to blame for this. But I would trade the guy. I'd set him free. Kalen DeBoer, University of Washington football coach. He's got his quarterback back, Michael Penix Jr. DeBoer's going to join us next. Leave it here. Penix looking that way to the slant, and it is caught. A touchdown for McMillan. Got a run on the shoe tops. An eight-yard strike from Penix to Jalen McMillan. I had some people last year uh, called me a Pac-12 homer because I put Michael Penix Jr. on my Heisman ballot. Uh, I think he's a, a fair bet to end up there again this season. His coach, Kalen DeBoer, joining us, University of Washington football coach. Uh, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on today. You bet. The Kraken. Everybody's talking about the Kraken up there in Seattle, aren't they? Yeah, it's been pretty exciting. Uh, I can't say I was uh, a huge hockey fan. I've never been to an NHL game before coming here, but I've been to multiple games this year, and uh, it's kind of my family even has gotten involved too, so. It's fun. Uh, it got uh, got exciting here towards uh, the last week or two. You know, we've had you on the show a few times. I think when you were at Fresno State, we had you on a couple times in uh, last season at Washington uh, for Pac-12 Media Day. But you know, I'm I'm interested in you know how that first year. How much of a blur does that feel like? How does it? How much more settled in do you feel now versus maybe a year ago? Yeah, I think um, you know you can. You can, uh, you know, be a head coach. Uh, you can be a coordinator. I think where wherever you're at and the years of experience is 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 definitely helpful. You know, when it comes to being efficient and and knowing what the priorities are. But uh, I think there's always something to go into into your first year wherever you're at. You know, uh, the practice schedules and just uh, the the different things, uh, logistics and all that that come into play. Um, I mean, I, I know what we're doing right now in May and how much further we are ahead and planning n- not just the summer, but even the fall, you know, fall camp and, and looking at some things even in the season, you know, and we're, we're quite a bit ahead uh, in that regard, you know, just in our planning. So it is easier, um, but uh, you just can never take anything for granted. you got to be really thorough. Um, that's what I've learned, I think, in, in all the years of coaching is uh, each year is its own year, you know, and you got to pay special attention to those details. 
You know what? It's uh, I relate to that. I finish a show and I go, "Hey, that was a pretty good show." And then I go, "It doesn't mean anything." Tomorrow I got to do it again, and right. you you, you right. start over every season. The stakes must feel sky high. But you had to feel pretty good about eleven and two. Like, I, did you look back? Did you did you enjoy that? Maybe during the bowl week or at the end of the season? Yeah, I think uh, you know, uh, in that little break uh, there in December um, before the bowl, um, really kind of looking back and. Um, realizing, you know, what had been accomplished and, and how far we'd come in just, uh, you know, really over a calendar year. So um, finishing off uh, with the bowl win uh, was huge just for the momentum and everything that carried us into this off season. And uh, the guys are, you know, again, just like I'm saying, not taking anything for granted. They're, they're doing that as well. You know, the work they're putting in supports the goals they have. Kaylin DeBoer, University of Washington football coach, is our guest. Uh, uh, I want to go back to the University of Sioux Falls, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, you know, it's Division Two football. I played Division Two baseball. I know that that's like the the heart of college competition. It's real college competition. Here you are now, in this world world of NIL and transfer portal. How, how different is the job as, as a head coach now versus maybe when you look back at when you first got into it? Yeah, I think overall it's it's quite a bit different. Um, small college to, to big university and so forth. That's obviously, like you said, a big piece of it. Um, so many more donors and, and uh, functions and, you know, people involved. But, um, you know, I think in the last couple of years, what's happened with the portal and, and NIL, um, there's just every day, I think, uh, something new that uh, you got to have your head on a swivel for, you know, and, um, you know, got good people around me that, uh, you know, all on the same page and, and share a like-minded philosophy, whether it's our coaching philosophy or how we want to build our team and where we're headed. Um, so that helps out a lot, but uh, it has certainly changed a lot. That's for sure. Yeah, you talk about good people around you. I think you guys did a good job retaining some assistance that, that people thought you were going to lose. How, how important is that continuity for a program? Yeah, it's huge. Uh, we kept every assistant and most of our uh, off-the-field staff. It was really the same as well. Um, so that, that just, you know, again, the ease of, of all the, the things, you know, you're not re, you know, reestablishing or re-coaching up, uh, reteaching your, your coaches. You're moving on and evaluating what you did a year ago uh, with everyone on the same page, the understanding of what went well, what didn't go well in those conversations. You know, there's not a lot of retracing and, and trying to figure it out. You're moving forward and making things better. Yeah, it's interesting because I've been tracking the portal a little bit, and, you know, I – I think you guys, I was surprised that you didn't have more turnover. You had maybe 10 guys that jumped in the portal and have ended up at mm-hmm. other schools. But given that you were, you know, you were a first-year coach last year, I thought there would be more guys who said, okay, I've done it for a year. There must be something about the culture or the locker room or the experience that is a draw for the players who were even there before that, you, you know, you didn't recruit, you inherited. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the guys, I uh, think there's multiple things, right? There's some unfinished business and things that uh, some of the guys look at it and and some believe in the development that they can get here Ram, with the coaching staff and what we do, whether it's our schemes and concepts or, you know, just the development maybe in the weight room and their belief there. And then, you know, um, just think the, the experience, the emotional piece, uh, you know, all of that. Um, I think, you know, the guys, uh, the guys enjoy that, you know, and they feel attached to it and they feel they're a part of, you know, something special, you know, individually and also the, 
what the program stands for. So, you know, we're fortunate to have a lot of that retention, a lot of that holdover. You said uh, the the words unfinished business. Uh, you, you guys at the end of the year, I don't think anybody was beating you if you could have got to Vegas. And, I, in fact, I think you were a pretty strong argument for the expanded playoff because I think just the way you were playing and the way your offense was playing in particular, it, it was going to be hard for anybody to stop you. Did you feel like at the end of the year – that you were one of the best four teams in the country? Did you feel like you belonged in Vegas? What, the unfinished business part. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we were playing definitely, like you said, the best football we played all year. Um, and it had been building from probably the middle of the season, uh, end of October into November. Um, we were the healthiest that we had been all year by far. And that led to continuity and you know, the momentum we were on uh, that, that we had going, um, you know, led to just, I mean, great practices every single day. And, uh, you know, so th- there is a piece where we felt, you know, we were playing really good football. And, um, you know, that's, uh, that's you know, I mean, the competitive piece of us, of course, thinks you can compete with everyone. But we also understand that you have to play the whole season out. and You can't, uh, you can't have those hiccups. And uh, we made ourselves vulnerable and lost a couple of games that uh, you can't lose. And, um, you know, that cost us in the end uh, for any of those opportunities you're talking about. I think there was at the beginning of the year, you know, people weren't sure what Michael Penix Jr. was going to be. And by the end of the year, everybody was going, gosh, the kid is going to be a great pro someday. What, what makes him special in your mind? Or, you know, we don't see him in practice and in meetings. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, you know, I think there's the talent piece, right. And that's the part you do see. Um, so, uh, that is a major part of it. And uh, there was a belief uh, and a confidence that happened, I think, pretty quickly once our, our team saw what he was doing. And, you know, the, the winter player run practices, the spring practices uh, into the summer. Um, you know, we didn't declare him the starter until the middle of uh, August. Uh, we wanted to make sure he wanted out and it was a clear cut. And we felt that way. I think we got to that point. Um, but, what really makes him special is I think he takes all the experiences, all the coaching. He's had multiple coordinators, um, you know, the ups and downs of his career and how he's responded to adversity. He's got great perspective. He's a very mature guy. And, you know, um, I think last year he probably thought, Hey, I'm going to have no regrets and I'm going to, you know, live this thing out. And, you know, I think he thought probably last year would have been his final year of college football, um, you know, and he put everything into it. And uh, here he is now again, you know, now for sure this being his last year of college football and uh, pouring even more, you know, uh, when you think you've done it all and put everything into it, uh, you realize that, you know, there's still uh, some more energy and effort and even uh, leadership that he's bringing to our team here uh, this season uh, above and beyond what he did a year ago. You know, I'm looking at your sort of uh, head coaching record over the years. Yeah, you didn't lose much in Sioux Falls. You, You Fresno State, your your worst you know full season was 9 and 3 you go 11 and 2 last season you make it look really easy it's almost like you know if uh the you know a team an NFL team that was uh 3 and 14 hired you they'd be 14 and 3 the next year you make it look easy i know it's not but is it process is is it the same whatever level you're at just sort of building the structure of a program well, I think all three of the places I've been a head coach at, there's been kind of the bones of the program. I say it, I say it that way, uh, just where there's a championship, you know, vibe, uh, great support. Um, Sioux Falls, Fresno, and uh, Washington all have this tradition 
you know, um, of, of championships. And so I think there's always been that, uh, but I think it's still, you know, uh, putting the people around you, you know, the people that are aligned with, um, you know, uh, the daily, uh, you know, just philosophy that you have and how you want the program run. And, and when you get everyone on the same page, um, the players see it and um, they gain a lot of confidence. And that momentum, I think, just picks up really quick. And, and a lot of the staff, not all of them, but most of the staff uh, were people that, you know, over 20 years of coaching um, I had worked with at different places. And I knew who they were and I knew how hard of workers they are, knew that they were genuine people. And, um, you know, had the same goals in mind that I did. And that's, uh, you know, to, to have no regrets and, go, you know, lay it all in the field and put our work, put work every work every day uh, like it's our last and, um, you know, enjoy the ride. So um, I love the people we got, I think, are always going to be what it's all about. I got great support from administration as well. That helps me out. And, you know, these guys have been awesome. Uh, they never flinched with anything we've ever asked them to do. You've got, uh, you mentioned the administration. I think you've got a great university president in Anna Marie Casse. You've got Jen Cohen, who I think is uh, one of the best ADs in the country. And, you know, and yet when I, when she hired you, I texted her and I said, that is a sneaky good hire. It, what was it like? What was the interview process like with Jen Cohen? Let us in on that because we always hear, you know, we see the news release, we see the news conference, but you know, that first meeting you have with her, that first contact where you think, hey, like they're interested in me, I'm interested in them. What is that process like? Yeah, I think every one of them is going to be different. Um, that's the way it's been for me uh, with different hires. Um, you know, there hasn't been a lot of them. But, uh, it, you know, when what I hear and how mine went, I think they're all different. Uh, but it went pretty quickly, um, you know, um, from the time you first talk and, some zoom calls just to get to know, uh, to all of a sudden it get kind of getting kind of serious. Um, you know, you're not talking, uh, extended or too long period of time, you know? So, um, you know, just, I mean, a week or so and, and here you are, you know, uh, with the opportunity and, you know, you're finally kind of trying to finish out your season, uh, that we were at Fresno that time, uh, there during Thanksgiving weekend. And, you know, a few days later, you're announced as the head coach. And, uh, well, I can tell you when I coached uh, at Fresno that last game, um, on Thanksgiving Day, um, you know, being the head coach at Washington, um, there may have been a small, small chance, um, but really it hadn't even come close to being far enough down the road where, you know, I felt like that was where I was going to be. Um, I felt like I was definitely at Fresno State. Yeah, you have. To, I think you'd have to mentally do that or you couldn't really do your job at the best of your ability. And, you know, did you have questions for Washington or – did you already have enough of a perception of what the program was and the resources that, you know, it was more about just getting comfort with the people you'd be working with? Yeah, I had a pretty good idea. We'd played here in 2017 and I saw what the environment was when I was at Fresno as a coordinator. Um, just a super special place. Uh, I remember having to go silent cadence. So pretty much most of the game. Um, so I knew the crowd support and uh, it, was, it was an awesome experience and environment. And then I think there was enough, People that I had worked with, uh, whether it be Jeff Tedford and his one-year consultant here uh, in 2016, uh, multiple coaching staff members like a Kirby Moore who is on my staff at Fresno, or friends that were, you know, tied into Chris Peterson, um, the former players of his like Lee Marks and and uh, and guys like that. I just I had enough of an idea um, and just kind of looking through and learning more on my own. Um, I knew this was a special place and a place that I definitely, you know, was at the top of the list, uh, you know, where I could see myself being. Um, I enjoyed my time at Fresno and, 
it wasn't always about being at the highest. I just wanted to be at great places with great people. And I had a great place there uh, with, with the Fresno folks and, and uh, you know, community there as well. This next question, you know, I want to frame it right because I don't mean any disrespect to Oregon or Oregon State, but you, you, you beat both of those teams last season and both of those games were tight. And, yeah. you know, I always ask people, you know, if you, you you want to play another quarter or not, and I'm kind of looking at the Oregon State game and I'm wondering, it was such a weird night with the wind. You guys showed a lot of resilience coming back there, kicking the field goal and winning, and then the Oregon game, you're on the road and you're up against environment, a lot of things, but – those two games, can you maybe speak to, you know, what it was like for you to win, to get wins in both of those games? Because those games, it, it could have easily been zero and two. You end up two and zero in those games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those those were huge because we knew we were facing really good football teams, um, really very well coached, and um, had momentum of their own, you know, uh, going and things that they were playing for. And uh, for us to pull those out, um, it meant a lot, you know, and you do it one at a time. And uh, we didn't look as at, at November as a whole. We looked at the first week and then the next week uh, as we were going through it. And, you know, each kind of had, like you said, the, the moments of uh, adversity, um, you know, where our backs are to the wall and different uh, variables that were coming into play, whether it be weather or crowd noise, uh, you know, when you're on the road. And um, I'm just super proud of the way the guys continue to just, focus on the moment, um, not let the situations get uh, bigger than they need to be, and uh, just put their best foot forward. Uh, when we continued to learn those things throughout the season, they really came into play, and I saw those moments and uh, the mindset, you know, um, colliding and uh, us coming through. And it's something we talk about and we'll talk about, you know, at different times through camp and maybe even the season, you know, uh, the adversity and our responses and and the belief that you can do anything if you just uh, stick together. The, uh, you know, we don't know you much away from football, but, you know, I know you have a couple of daughters. Um, you know, what do, you, do you read books? Do you binge watch shows? Do you play the guitar? What's Kalen DeBoer doing if he's not thinking about football? Yeah, my, my getaway is the family. Um, there's not a lot uh, other than, you know, you probably play a, a round or two of golf here and there, um, you know, with some donors and, a couple friends and some functions and events that you're at, but uh, it's all about them. I got a junior in high school and a sixth grader, and so uh, they keep me busy. Um, uh, I'm taken away from them quite a bit, but one likes softball, one like hor- likes horseback riding. So uh, anytime I can go <laughs> watch them enjoy doing what they do, um, you know that that's uh, that's a plus. And so uh, they're at an age where you know seeing dad in the stands or seeing dad uh, present, you know, is a big deal to them. And, um, they support me in a lot of ways. They love football. And so them being around the players and around the team um, and the excitement for the games that are coming up and they're old enough to understand how much uh, and what the process looks like year round too. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's great, but that's, there's not a lot. I wish there was more too. probably uh, the way that I, uh, you know, get my mind uh, away from football, but um, you know, that's uh, pretty much where hundred percent of it other than football goes is with my family. Yeah, is the uh, sixth grader the horseback rider or the softball player? Yeah, she's a, she's the horseback rider. All right. So do you ride? Oh, do you yeah. go out and ride with her, or you just watch? I've, I've never been on a horse in my entire life, so which is crazy <laughs> being from South Dakota and growing up in a rural area, you know. So, but that's uh, the honest truth. So yeah, but she teaches so, me a lot. I'm learning yeah. as we go. Yeah, and then do you get to play catch? Is it out? Is it Alexis or Avery? Is the sixth grader? I'm, I I know they're. 
Two uh, names. Avery's the youngest one, okay. and then Alexis is the older one. Yep, plays softball. All right. So do you get to play catch? Like, do you go out in the front yard and play catch, or you know, is she with her teammates usually when she's doing that and you're watching? Yeah, that, my getaway. Uh, I enjoyed baseball. Got a chance to play when I was in college. Uh, even there a couple of years, and uh, that's kind of my getaway. Maybe uh, throw 15, 20 minutes of BP here and there yeah. in the cage, and that's that's uh, the getaway. I don't know. I don't sit and coach her much. Uh, that's uh, for her coaches and, you know, let her do her thing. She's been through it. And it's, uh, it's father-daughter time when we get to that point. So um, like I that. love it. It's fun being with those guys. All right. So help out the rest of the parents listening. Like, you know, because you're a coach and, you you know, you don't want to step on softball coaches' toes or, or you know, if, if uh, the equestrian uh, rider's got a coach, I don't know. But the ride home after games – what what should the ride home after a game be like with a parent and a kid? <laughs> what should it be like, huh? Yes. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> you know, always the question, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel. I mean, I feel pretty strong about uh, the role, especially when you're a coach yourself. Um, looking at what's happened in a game, um, I. Uh, I don't really second guess anything that goes on, you know, just there to support and, you know, pre- tell, tell the coach appreciation for what they do. And, um, you know, I'm, I just really try to let the experiences, uh, what they're going through, um, be, you know, the fun part. I mean, these games are meant to be fun and you, there's so many life lessons that are a part of it. Maybe you talk about that here and there, but uh, not too much more with, you know, why'd you do this or why'd you do that? Coach, I'll catch up with you probably in Vegas, Pac-12 Media Day. Thank you for giving us some of your time. Uh, good luck to you this off season. You bet. Looking forward to seeing you there, and uh, appreciate you having me on. You bet. Kalen DeBoer, University of Washington football coach. Hope you feel like you know him a little better. Uh, we try to get all the coaches on. Uh, Kenny Dillingham's on my radar. I also uh, am efforting Stanford's new coach, Troy Taylor. But uh, some key takeaways there. Uh, we'll talk about the Pac-12 coming up. Michael Penix Jr., he's got a hell of a quarterback coming back. It'll be really interesting to see if Washington can parlay last season into something bigger. And by something bigger, you know, 11-2 and last year wasn't, quite, wasn't good enough to get him in the Pac-12 title game. I felt like at the end of the year, if we're just being honest and we're stepping back, I felt like Washington was one of the best two teams. I thought, you know, Washington-USC probably was the game that I really wanted to see, right? You know, Washington did it, proved it, was playing the best football down the stretch. But, um, you know, they, they lost an early season game and, and, and a painful one. And 11-2 and and didn't get them there. Can they parlay that? Ray Anderson, Arizona State Athletic Director, speaking out. So is Kirk Schultz, the Washington State President. If you are Chicken Little, you won't like what they're going to say. I'll play it next. I like that interview with Kalen DeBoer. I've been uh, efforting that for a while. Good stuff there. Uh, Leads me to the Pac-12. We're going to talk a lot about the Pac-12 coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Uh, Also in the 4 o'clock hour, we will get a visit from uh, the strength and conditioning coach at Alabama. Henry Barrera will be joining us here in a few minutes to talk about Brandon Miller and uh, what it's like to be the strength and conditioning coach at Alabama. If you're a Blazer fan, though, you want to know about the work ethic of a possible number three draft pick uh the third pick in the nba draft we'll talk about it um takeaways from the interview with DeBoer, steven judah 
Did anything jump out at you with Kalen DeBoer? I just I marvel at the success he's had wherever he's been. He's just one and one and one. He sounds very measured. He sounds very organized, locked in, process oriented. I guess it makes sense. To me, it sounded like he was almost surprised at how good they finished last year. You asked him like you know, was it, did you look back on the season and think it was success? Like it sounded like he was almost surprised they go 11 and two, right? Like, I feel like it was, he knew they'd be good, but not this good so early. So I thought that was a little interesting. And he's just such a confident guy. Like he knows his stuff. He knows that their offense is going to work. I'm excited to see what Washington does this year. We were kind of on him a little bit last year to be good. I don't know what I feel about him right now, but I know they got a good coach. That's that. That's the one thing I'm for sure about. Yeah, they're they're locked in. Judah, did you have a takeaway in listening to Kalen DeBoer? Uh, you know, nothing really stood out from from the conversation, and I think that's probably the takeaway. Like he's mm-hmm. so consistent in his football mindset that there was there was nothing really edgy. There was nothing really that got your attention. You asked him about the Duck and Beavs wins. He didn't bite, you know, anything in there with the rivalries, and he's just like, yeah, I play golf, I hang out with my family, and I win football games, and. You know, so to me, it's more on the field with him and, and his offensive, you know, scheme and in Penix. Penix, DeBoer, the receivers they have coming back, that's really the story in Seattle right now. But outside of that, I didn't really glean anything new. I, to me, yeah, it, it makes it sound like we shouldn't have had the interview. Like, I, I disagree with that. I, I thought we got a pretty good idea of a guy that whose world was spinning in year one and you know he talked about maybe getting settled in he talked about the retention of his coaches being important um that the fact that i was surprised with the interview process with jen cohen because i was under the impression like what we saw and what was reported was him getting on this private charter him flying i had this big idea that they had these big interviews and he's like hey it was a couple of zoom calls i kind of knew who they were about and, you know, she was obviously very interested in him. And keep in mind, you know, for people out there, Dan Lanning's hire, Lincoln Riley's hire, the Kalen DeBoer hire flew way under the radar, flew way under the radar at the time. I think it was sneaky good. Leave it here. Love that interview with Kalen DeBoer. Love that interview. If you are a Pac-12 fan, you want to get to know Washington's coach a little bit, you know, we got, it. We got a chance to pull on the head coach of the University of Washington on this show. Grab the podcast of that. Share it with your friends and family. I I did not know that he'd never been on a horse. That's interesting. I did not know that essentially coaching Division II NIIA football is the same for him as long as you have the resources and you have the structure and the people involved. I think that that can be applied for all of us. Um, You know, I did get the sense from him that, like a lot of people, like a lot of men in particular – in his age group, um, that work-life balance, it's tough. You know, he wishes he could play catch more or have more time with his kids, but there's not time for it. Um, and, and his answer in particular, when I asked him about the Michael Penix Jr., you know, essentially what makes that kid good, because we don't get to see the meetings. We don't get to see him in practice. We see him in games. We see the athleticism. We see an elite quarterback who's who's probably going to project as a pretty good pro. I love that interview. It's 18 minutes of gold in my mind. I don't know. But if you didn't love it, maybe, you know, maybe you weren't listening. I don't know. Uh, Henry Barrera.
is our next guest. He is the strength of conditioning, strength and conditioning coach at Alabama. He's got local connections. I have so many questions on this front. Uh, do I call you coach? What do the players call you, Henry? Oh, they just call me Hen, man. They just call me Hen. Hen. All right. Yes, <laughs> Let's. Sir. How did you get into strength and conditioning? Give me the background on that. Yeah, man. So uh, basketball has been a huge part of my life, and uh, I'm a small guard, man. I'm five seven at best. Had to find a way, find a way to compete, man. So bridging the gap for me is uh, human performance and basketball. So it's a it's a deep passion of mine. Is the only way that I had a chance to play college basketball is just to enhance my body. So that's kind of where it started. You know, you were at Liberty University before going to Tuscaloosa. And give us an idea. You know, you're at Liberty, and you know Richie McKay was there, and he was the first person who hired you. Obviously, people in the state of Oregon uh, know Richie McKay. They know Liberty, and you know, give you know, is the background there with Richie McKay? Was it a comfort level? Did you know him from before, at, from Nike, or, you know, where do you get to know him? Yeah, man, great story. So I coached at West Lane, and I'm, I was working out Peyton Pritchard, and it just so happened that we had uh, high-level coaches in the gym that day, Richie McKay, Mark Hugh, Jay Wright, um, and we ended up working out three times. So Peyton hit me up in the morning. We worked at 6.30 a.m. Uh, we worked out on the track at noon, and then we worked out at 9 p.m., and Richie was the only coach to come to all three sessions. So he – he watched the workouts. After the workout, he's like, I think you can do this at a high level. Uh, right now, I'm an associate head coach at Virginia. When I get a head coaching job, I'm calling you. And uh, true to his word, he did that. And, uh, you know, long story short, I ended up at Liberty. Yeah, You know, it's interesting to me, the whole strength and conditioning world, because it's become a bigger part of what the colleges are doing. You've been there while it's growing. And, you know, go back to when you were in community college at Yakima Valley Community College. You're there. You're there for two years. You go to Multnomah University where you're uh, you're an All-American there. But the strength and conditioning that you are doing in Alabama and that is happening around the country with basketball programs, how much has that evolved in your time in the business? Man, it's evolved immensely, man. The last 10 years, just in terms of, like, sports science and technology and the things that we can track on a day-to-day basis, it's, it's night and day. Um, you know, I think – at the bare bones, is it's still you got to get you got to put the work in, you know. So it doesn't matter the tech you have or anything like that. You got to put the work in. So uh, it's been really cool to watch it evolve and to watch it be recognized, man. I think uh, strength and conditioning coaches spend a lot of time with athletes, with student athletes. So I know I know the hours that I'm putting in with these guys and, and the relationships we build. So I'm glad to see it kind of get it get its due a little bit. Yeah, and I think you know when you get to a place like Alabama, you got to be looking around. Not you're not at Yakima Valley Community College anymore, are you? When you when you're in Tuscaloosa? <laughs> oh man, it's uh, it's crazy. You know the level of athletes, and even from Liberty, man. I think Liberty's a really special place, uh, elite people, but the level of athletes that are at Alabama is uh, it's like no other, man. It's it's everything that you think and more. Yeah, and you know I want to talk about Brandon Miller. I want to talk about you know the other players, and you know I'm you know, I like everybody else I know what was reported about the kid nationally but you have a different relationship with him as a strength and conditioning or a performance coach and give us an idea of what Brandon Miller is like what he's about in the weight room that work ethic and you know what kind of person is this man from day 1 he he's been a uh, super respectful he's been one of my favorite guys to work with he's just an outstanding human being you know I think when you spend so much time with athletes you get to know them you know, he's been over to my house. He's had dinner with my family. 
um, I always tell him he could be in a movie, man. He's he's got this personality, this uh, charisma, this this he's just gregarious, man, and how he how he interacts with people. Um, you know, anytime that I'm around him, I've seen him be super super respectful and and hospitable, and just with his time uh, with with young kids, with adults, with with whoever. So I, I've been super impressed with him as just a person. Yeah, and I think you know you you know you you see football at Alabama becoming such a thing. What where does basketball fit when you talk about you know the community there in Tuscaloosa and the university? Oh man, I think it fits really well. You know, I, I think um, you know everybody probably has this stereotype. It, it is a it's a football school, but we, we don't say that, man. We call it a championship school. You know, we've had a lot of success in basketball, and we're still building. Uh, Coach Saban has done an outstanding job just laying the format for the rest of us, you know. So it's a blessing to be around people that are so competitive and pursue excellence on a daily basis. So for us, it's a, it's a building block for basketball. I think Coach Oates has done a, done a phenomenal job just kind of bringing his own flavor and his own style to Tuscaloosa, and it's been fun just being a part of that. The the controversy with Coach Oates this season and, you know, obviously a uh, a controversial subject matter with Brandon Miller. What was it like to be, you know, behind the scenes while all that was playing out publicly? Man, to be honest, it was really hard, John. It was really hard, man. It was it was heavy. Um, you know, I think we did the best we could to uh, to to band together just as 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 a team, as family. Um, it's hard, man, when when student athletes are away from home and, and stuff that, that is that intense going on in their lives. Um, so the only way I can describe it is heavy, man. I mean, I, I, I try to shut off my social media a little bit and, um, you know, try to stay away from people who don't know the actual situation and just, just be with our guys and, and speak life to them. Brandon Miller um, gained 13 pounds under your care. And, again, we're talking to Henry Barrera, who is the strength and conditioning coach of the Alabama men's basketball program. Brandon Miller, 13 pounds. How does he gain 13 pounds of muscle? Man, I, I think uh, the, the, I got to give credit to uh, Amanda Branson. She's our, our sports dietitian, sports nutritionist. Uh, she does a phenomenal job just having food in front of these guys 24-7. So as often as we can, uh, there's there's resources from a nutrition standpoint. And then my job is just to make sure that we're, we're, we're getting consistency in the weight room, we're getting good workouts, uh, and we're just putting in time. So I think when college athletes are in the right environment, that, that stuff's going to happen just – I don't want to say automatically, but it, it's going to happen naturally. Yeah, and I think, you know, you talk about naturally, but for the rest of us listening to this, you know, who don't spend three hours in the gym, I don't know how long these guys are working out for, but help the, help the rest of us out. Like, how frequency of workout with weights, cardio, average listener listening now, Henry, what, you know, what do you recommend for normal folks? Because I'm going to guess your neighbors and friends are always texting you, calling you, going, hey, uh, I need to liven up my workouts, or what should I be doing? Look, man, I tell people just to be active every single day. You know, if you, I'm 46 years old. I'm, I'm what I call an old head. Um, you know, you got to get two to three lifts in a week. You know, try to lift something heavy. Try to lift something fast. Try to get a couple sprints in. Um, you know, don't to, go too crazy. But, uh, yeah, man, I, I think when you for, – for the regular average Joe, they don't understand, like, these athletes are putting in – 20 to 30, maybe 40 hours a week, you know, on the court, you know, we have a, a our, our allotment of 20 hours, but man, I can go to the gym right now and I guarantee I'll find one or two guys working out on their own, you know, on, on the court or even in the weight room. 
Yeah, and I think, too, um, you know, sometimes the best workouts are the ones where you're actually doing something that is functional to your sport. Yeah, you know Peyton Pritchard. He's running the hills of West Lynn. He's dribbling the uh, the weighted basketball. Do you recommend dribbling with a weighted basketball? Uh, yeah, man, for, 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 bits, for bits of it, you know, for parts of training. Uh, Peyton, Peyton's always been on another level, man. When I met him as a sixth grader, he could look you deadpan in the face and just say, hey, I'm going to be a pro, and you believed him as a grown adult. So uh, I think different people have a different capacity for work. But, man, I, I'm a big believer in the weighted ball. I think it, you know, sharpens your handle. Uh, so it's just a piece of the puzzle. Yeah, and I think, you know, too, when uh, uh, we hear the stories about Peyton Pritchard's work ethic, give me an idea, like, how unusual is it for a guy to have that work ethic, and what do you know about it? Like, I've heard the stories of him in the gym every day at 6 o'clock in the morning, then he goes strength and conditioning, then it's nutrition, then it's his normal practice that, that everybody else joins in, but... You know, you probably see a variety of work ethics among players that you've worked with over the years. Yeah, man, you know, uh, a quote comes to mind, man, it's, it's hard to be great at something that you don't love, you know. So I think there's there's levels to this, you know, capacity for work. And I, I've seen maybe a handful, five or six guys who, who have this hunger, this drive that just outlasts everybody else that, that's uh, more intense, but it's intense in an authentic uh, authentic way, you know, so it, it doesn't compromise who they are. It doesn't take over their, their lives, uh, their personalities. It's, it, it's just part of who they are. Uh, it sounds kind of funny, but that's that's what I saw in, in Peyton. I, I see that in Brandon Miller. You know, he's the type of kid where if if he got, you know, quote, bullied, where, you know, just man, manhandled a little bit after the game, it's him and I in the weight room because he wants to get extra work in, you know. So players like that are special because they, they kind of see the big picture, they know what it takes, and they, they're willing to do that work every day. Yeah, strength and conditioning, it's amazing, you know, when you look at just the advancements even, you know, in, in 30 years. they You know, in some sports like basketball, it wasn't that long ago, Henry, where they told players, hey, you're going to mess your shot up if you pick up a weight. And now, you know, everybody picks up a weight. Like, I, you know, it's, it's just phenomenal. Did you, is this what you always wanted to do, or did you just want to stay around coaching and basketball and this was a way to do it? Man, I didn't have any plans to do this, you know, I have a background in art. Uh, but, man, for me, the relational aspect, you know, I, I got to coach your guy, Stephen Vaughn, and I, yeah. I feel like I made a little bit of impact in him as an athlete. Um, and so for me, man, just to, to to help people get where they want to go. You know, I think when players come in, like, your your dream becomes my dream. You know, we win together. And that's, uh, that, that's something I take a lot of pride in, man. It's, it's so fulfilling to – to help someone get to the, where they want to go. And just to play a small part in that is uh, is just a blessing. Look, uh, Henry Barrera is our guest, strength and conditioning coach, men's basketball program, Alabama. Um, you live in Tuscaloosa. Your wife is Melody. Your kids are Maya, Marquez, uh, is it Malia, and Mariah. Malia, yep. Yeah. yeah, all M's. All M's. You <laughs> and the M's. What's going on with the M's? Hey, you know what? I'm the outcast because, you know, my wife is an M2, so man, we, we started with one, and uh, it was just kind of funny at the time. And then we had two, and then uh, the third one was a little bit of a surprise, and then my wife's like, you know what, let's just go all M's, and her family happens to be all M's as well, so okay. kind, of, kind of fun. You're you're a smart man. Uh, all right, Henry, I appreciate you coming on. Before I get, let you go, any concern at all, if the Blazers are sitting there at three and Brandon Miller's on the board, 
Is there any concern at all that, you know, you know the history of the Trailblazers organization, you know how fans are here and, you know, what this organization's been through. Is there any concern about his character in your mind? Absolutely no concern at all. You know, I, I actually, uh, I'm a little biased. I believe he should be the number one pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. I know that people will call me crazy for that, but uh, I think what you're getting is a proven a proven player, man. He, he's he's a full package. He, he's a great human being, and he has a skill set, you know, to be a, a phenomenal player in the NBA. What kind of player is Stephen Vaughn? <laughs> hey, look, John, I'm going to tell you a story real quick, man. Okay. All right. I, I, had, no, I, I had no idea that Stephen Vaughn could dunk a basketball. And uh, we're actually playing at Multnomah, where I, where I played. And uh, he gets a breakaway, and my man throws one down. And, the, I mean, we go crazy because I'd never seen him dunk before. I, I, I didn't believe he could dunk. You know, I know he's been working. Maybe it was a strength and conditioning program or something. But uh, that was my, my intro to Stephen Vaughn, man. Uh, I love that guy. He's a phenomenal person, and he was a hooper, man. Straight, straight bucket. I love that. Wait, it was for could... it was for sure strike and conditioning coach right I there, Henry. I, I didn't you, know you could dunk either, Stephen. That's <laughs> news on this show. I, I really didn't know I could at that moment either. I just went up and did it, you know. There you go. That's what it looked like, man. But it was uh, it was a beautiful moment. Man. Yeah. All right, Henry. I appreciate you. Appreciate your time. Good stuff there, uh, from Alabama. Uh, checking in there with some uh, good intel there. I think it was really <laughs> that's an interesting interview. And such a such a interesting journey to go from Yakima Valley Community College as a player to Multnomah University. Then you know he played a year of professional basketball in Sweden, and then ended up in in the state of Oregon uh, as a training specialist at Nike. And then um, he goes on to work with Westland High School, and then he goes to Liberty with Richie McKay, and. Then uh, he gets to Tuscaloosa, and he's at Alabama now. And, you know, after he did some Olympic training with some Olympic athletes, he go- ends up at Alabama. And what a journey, man. You just never know where this stuff's going to take you. Um, really cool stuff. Now, now, Stephen, yesterday after the show, because we were talking about Brandon Miller, you immediately said, hey, you know, I know the strength and conditioning coach at Alabama. Um, you know, that whole world of strength and conditioning from an athlete's perspective I often will hear college athletes talk about the strength and conditioning coach as much as they talk about their position coach in football in particular. Yeah, like so Henry was my coach at Concordia, the strength and conditioning, and that was the first time like I ever had one. So like that's when it really started becoming popular, you know, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, like that's when we really started to understand the the science behind it. And Henry was awesome. Like he really did improve my quickness. Like I was never the fastest, I was never the strongest. But, like, just the stuff that he taught us how to do it, it really helped you out. And I noticed that. And I'm like, man, this, you know, I wish I would have known about this stuff way earlier yeah. rather than just playing basketball. And I think just science and technology, the the information age, we found so much about it. And, and you look at kids now, like, athletically, they're way more athletic than we were back in the day. So I think it's it's always evolving. And I think mm-hmm. when you find a good one like Henry is, like, he's just going to keep growing and keep going at it because that's just the way he is. Like, he's going to try to be the best he can. And so, you know, Alabama's got a great one there. But I think it's so big in college sports because, you know, when you're that good of an athlete and you can even elevate it to be that elite athlete, man, it's tough to stop. I, I fascinated by kind of the journey. Very different kind of interview for this show, but I'll go with it and I'll roll with it. Uh, I, I just like learning about people, and I like learning, especially their journey and their path, because, uh, you know, it's. 
I think we all have a little bit of Forrest Gump in our story. Like, you know, there were just, you know, different points. You know, and Forrest Gump's the best example of that when you look at sort of that movie and how he ends up where he ends up. It's uh, it's all fascinating stuff. All right, coming up, uh, Kirk Schultz, Washington State's president. He did an interview at an alumni event uh, shedding some light on the Pac-12's situation. I'll just leave it at that. Ray Anderson, the athletic director at Arizona State, also said some things that were a little puzzling. They raised some eyebrows. We'll talk about the Pac-12 next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. On Monday's show during the 5 at 5, or right after the 5 at 5, I mentioned that uh, we were going to give away a pair of Mariners tickets, a double pair of Mariners tickets, two pair of Mariners tickets, four tickets to two games. Is my being clear with that? Uh, As part of a giveaway that we're going to do throughout the Major League Baseball season. So if you were listening to Monday's 5 at 5, I was supposed to do this yesterday, but uh, it was new. I forgot, just being real. And uh, yesterday, I was supposed to prompt you with a question, uh, meaning, uh, you know, what did we say on Mondays 5 at 5, blah, 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 blah. And you could have gone back and listened to the podcast if you wanted to to answer the question. Well, I will be asking that question coming up uh, a little bit later in about 10 minutes as part of this segment. So uh, stay tuned for that. If you were listening Monday, you may have the answer. You may win the tickets. Uh, In the meantime, I want to turn our attention to a couple of Pac-12 personalities who have been speaking lately. As we all know, the Pac-12 media rights situation has been dragging on and on and on, and the goalposts have been moved a couple of times, and people are frustrated. I'm sick of talking about it. You're sick of hearing about it. But it feels as though we are winding towards a resolution. Now, I wrote it at johnconzano.com. Uh, today is Wednesday. I wrote it on, what was that, Tuesday? Man, time flies. That was yesterday? Uh, I wrote it yesterday. Uh, I talked about the timeline, and I thought it was going to be kind of a mid-June timeline as it pertained to Uh, an announcement on media rights and expansion. And I use San Diego State as the example because San Diego State and the Mountain West Conference are in a little bit of a dance right now. San Diego State has to inform the Mountain West Conference that it wants to leave. If it wants to play in the 2024 college football season, it has until June 30th of this summer to announce that. Now, the the exit fee is $16.5 million approximately. If San Diego State fails to give notice by June 30th and still wants to leave, it it will be uh, required to pay $33 million. That's a big difference. Well, it raised some eyebrows when Ray Anderson, the Arizona State Athletic Director, gave an interview to uh, the Sun Devils football podcast. Uh, Yesterday, this uh, interview was posted, and I pulled some audio from it. I want you to hear it. First of all, This is the non-controversial part. This is the part where you as a listener of this show have been tuned into this stuff. Ray Anderson, the AD at Arizona State, was asked about Arizona State's commitment to the Pac-12. Here's what he said. Have there been any discussions, you know, internally that, you know, 
if things you know, with the Pac-12's long-term viability don't necessarily shake out in, in a positive way that, you know, looking at whether uh, other prospective conference homes for Arizona State Athletics? We don't have that discussion internally because uh, we are a solid, uh, uh, important member of the Pac-12, uh, uh, Pac-10, Pac-12. Uh, and very frankly, I've had no discussions uh, about other conferences. Uh, the only discussions we might have is what other conferences uh, are trying to have some of their members come to our conference. Uh, obviously, we talked about San Diego State, SMU, and some others, so that is uh, uh, clear in those comments. But no, we've had no internal discussions about ASU going anywhere else because uh, that's, very frankly, no desire. Very frankly, no desire. He's making it clear there. I don't know about the the Big 12 country footprint, and I don't know how they are going to perceive that, but it's evident in listening to Ray Anderson that Arizona State is committed to the Pac-12, whether it has been uh, committed all along. Uh, I'll leave that for speculation. But I've told you all along on this show, and if you're a listener to the show, I've told you that the 10 remaining members to a campus are committed. That's what they're telling me, that's what they're telling each other, and that's what their actions are reflecting. Now, there have been some other parties out there that may have a dog in the fight, may have some extra motivation that I think have been focused on trying to destabilize the conversation. And some of those parties are now working hard on the ACC front, so maybe the Pac-12 is getting a break. But, again, I believe that the Pac-12 will announce a media rights deal Sometime in middle June. I'm I'm thinking 15, 20, 25. They have to if they're going to add San Diego State it, because they can't get to June 30th without adding San Diego State if they're going to add San Diego State. It just doesn't make any sense. But yet Ray Anderson said this in the same interview. Listen carefully. Tell me if you think he's tipping the hand a little bit or maybe he's just speaking about something that he doesn't have complete knowledge of. Because he starts to kind of ramble in this uh, minute and a half or so in giving an answer here on media rights. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very confident on the long-term viability. The 10 schools uh, are solid. UCLA and USC will be moving on. Uh, but I do believe uh, the 10 schools remaining uh, are very solid, and there's a commitment to do that. Uh, it will be, uh, I think, uh, uh, summertime. Uh, when we have uh, a deal uh, to announce. Uh, I don't know if that's July or August, but uh, the latest uh, thinking is that by summer uh, we should have uh, uh, an MMR deal, a multimedia rights deal with the Pac-12 to announce. After that, you then have to make sure that you have your grant of rights, which essentially is the 10 remaining schools signing on to the deal, essentially granting their media rights to the conference so no one is inclined to leave before the deal expires. And then once you get have that, uh, then, very frankly, I think the notion of uh, potentially looking at expansion uh, makes sense. Uh, you've heard, everybody in this room has heard that San Diego State and SMU are two of the institutions most commonly mentioned when you're talking about potentially expanding uh, the Pac-12. Uh, and there are a couple other schools that sometime you hear mentioned, you know, uh, pick, your, pick your choice. But uh, I think the thought of expansion uh, is real. Uh, I think the timing will 
uh, be after you have the multimedia rights deal done, you have your grant of rights uh, solidify, uh, and then I think you might have uh, some fairly quick movement on that. That's just my opinion. Now, now he adds, that's just my opinion at the end of it, but he confused a lot of people in saying that it would be summer. And he says July and August in his comments. So a lot of people immediately went to, well, wait a minute, that doesn't work for San Diego State. Because if you're waiting till July and August, the deal doesn't get done and you've got a problem. You have San Diego State having to, you know, be in limbo. And so I kind of, I want to believe that Ray Anderson has been told, hey, it's coming down the pipeline, but he hasn't been told exactly when by his president. Keep in mind, the Pac-12 CEO group, the presidents and chancellors are the ones in the room. The ADs are in the next level and are often consulted with, but they're not in the room for those conversations. And so uh, it, it's kind of been, it's been swirling around my head, you know, and I've been thinking, well, does Ray not know? Does he not know that summer starts, you know, June 21st or whenever it officially starts? Is he, you know, and somebody said summer, and in his mind, summer is July and August. I don't know. And so I, for a day, I've been thinking, ah, do I need to make a deal about this? Do I need to do I need to ask somebody about it? And I did reach out yesterday to a member of the Pac-12 CEO group, and that person said, hey, the 10, the 10 schools are committed, confident that the 10 schools are committed, in fact. But then today, Washington State's president, Kurt Schultz, who is one of the members of the, of the uh, Pac-12 CEO group, he talked about media rights and about expansion in an interview with the school's alumni association that was posted to YouTube. Pulled cuts from that as well. Here's Kirk Schultz. Listen carefully. Yeah, we're continuing to have really good dialogue and discussion with several media bidders and media partners. And there's multiple people that are really interested in the Pac-12. We occupy a really unique time slot that people want. Pac-12 football, they want men's and women's basketball. So we've got lots of folks out there, and I know our fans are frustrated. They're like, Kirk, we've been hearing since January. It's imminent. It's going to happen. But uh, I ask everybody to be patient because we have more bidders coming to the table, more people interested as the time goes on, and attend schools are as unified as I've ever seen them. So we hope in the next few weeks to a month to be able to have a media rights deal to get the grant of rights signed by all 10 schools, and then to work on expansion. So when it happens, folks, the dominoes are going to fall quickly, uh, and I, I'm as eager as all of us are to get it done. Eager as all of us are to get it done. He went on to talk about the expansion process. You know, we uh, if I go back a year or two, we actually had a set of schools that we looked at that would fit sort of the footprint of the Pac-12 conference, and uh, – in the media, they've reported certainly several schools that uh, we've expressed interest in, they've expressed interest in us, and we got to get that media rights deal signed first so we know what we can bring to the table with possible expansion candidates. Yeah, look, they're talking now, and Schultz went on to say in the interview uh, that middle to late June. Now, that fits with San Diego State's timeline. I, I uh, thought it was interesting, too, in the Ray Anderson clips that, he mentions San Diego State and SMU. I didn't like it. I didn't like it because I think it is a little disrespectful to the Mountain West Conference for an AD to say San Diego State and SMU, even though we are all saying San Diego State and SMU. And, and, and let me back up. 
I think it was disrespectful when Baylor's AD came out and said, you know, hey, we want Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah. We'd love to have them in the Big 12 Conference. And I think it's disrespectful when other conference commissioners have come forth and said, you know, you know, we are uh, we're looking at teams in in the Pac-12 or whatnot. I think that I think that's all disrespectful. But I think Ray Anderson, he's a little different. He comes from the professional world. He comes from you know the world of the NFL. I think his background is different, and I think he was speaking out of school a little bit on that front. I I find it really interesting, and I geek out on this stuff. Like you know, I feel like I'm the guy who's you know, one time I was on a remote broadcast, and and I love our listeners, but there was a listener who was a diehard Winterhawks fan. Diehard Winterhawks fan. Goes on every road trip with the Winterhawks. Rides the team bus. Goes to every road game. Shows up on every road game, whatnot. And he showed up to the remote broadcast, and he had binders and binders and binders and scrapbooks of all of his travels with the Winterhawks. And I thought to myself, gosh, I hope, like, you know, I, no disrespect. Like, if that's your thing, that's cool. But I was like, man, I hope if I started to sound like that and focus on something like that, then my wife or my friends would shake me and just be like, hey, come on now. Yep, you know, come on. Perspective. Healthy balance. Um, so I get into this Pac-12 stuff in a way that I feel like I'm the guy with the Winterhawks binders, and I'm flipping through going, hey, here was our trip to Cam Loops, you know, and so and so – uh, stop me if I'm in that position, but here we are, you know, on May 17th, and I, I'm I'm increasingly confident that the naysayers, the gloom and doom crowd out there that is largely uh, made fun of the Pac-12 and rooted for its demise are pivoting their attention to the ACC, and maybe in a way that's equally unfair to the ACC. But I I feel like we're getting a lot of reinforcement and affirmation for stuff that has been reported on this show. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we've been mostly right about where this is all headed. I think early on I expected a deal to be done sooner. I remember thinking it was going to be done by Thanksgiving and then Christmas and, and then maybe they'll get it done early in 2023 and then here we are in May. And then, you know, but I think largely – those comments or that that kind of speculation, for me at least, was based on uh, what I was hearing from the presidents as Arizona's president and Colorado's president and Washington State's president and Oregon State's president came on this show. And and the presidents all seemed to be pointing in that direction that, you know, and then they backed off it, the conference. And I, I was told that by the Pac-12 spokesperson. They said, look, we, we realize largely this is our fault, but they had to reframe the conversation about media rights. I am dying to get back to talking just about the football and geeking out on, like, who's the best quarterback in the Pac-12. Uh, I I would still, by the way, say that it's Caleb Williams today, but Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix, there's some other players in this conversation. Um, I would rather get back to having that kind of conversation, and I have really... Um, you know, I love covering the Pac-12. I love talking about the Blazers. I love talking about the Ducks, Beavers, a uh, little bit of Timbers, some Winterhawks. I'm not getting on the bus with my binder, but, you know, I just feel like the sports world has become increasingly 
more about the transfer portal and name image likeness. And I, I'm like you, I I'm turned off by a lot of this. Let me ask you a question real quick, John, about the whole realignment thing here. Are you more, cause you said you didn't like that. They brought up the fact that San Diego state and SMU, they named them by name. Is that because you don't like that? Because like the PAC 12, this whole operation has been close to the chest. There hasn't been a lot of leaked information because for me, like I like to hear the fact that the yeah. Pac-12 is out there, and we know, we already know the answer. We already know it's San Diego State and SMU, but now they're out there acknowledging it. Like they're out in public and they're saying, "Yeah, this is what we're doing." I like it. You seem to not like it. Is it just because like they haven't expressed this information before? Like I just don't understand like what the negative would be to saying San Diego State and SMU publicly. Yeah, I think it's one thing for us to know that San Diego State and SMU are two of the four schools that they uh, that they explored and you know we've reported that others have reported that you know and i'm confident that you know those two were were part of it as was colorado state and the fourth i i i have a guess at it but i don't want i don't like to guess i think the fourth was gonzaga and but i don't have that i don't have that confirmed from somebody and i think it's one thing for all of us to have a conversation about it i think it's quite another thing for a sitting athletic director in the Pac-12 to talk about a team in another conference and, hey, we're, we're uh, you know, the, the way that Ray Anderson did. It was just He was very casual in talking about it, and maybe because it's out there and everybody knows it's out there. But it bothered me when Baylor's AD kind of spoke about the Pac-12 teams like that, like which teams he would want. I was like, that's kind of poor form. Like it, as a professional courtesy, it didn't – feel very professional to me for the Baylor AD to be talking about, you know, which Pac-12 schools that they would want. And and it, and it riled up, I think unnecessarily so, riled people up. And so what I would fear with Ray Anderson talking about it is, what if the Pac-12 doesn't take SMU? What if, what, you know, what if they decide they don't want to take anybody? And, you know, he's out there talking about it. But I, but I, I agree with you to some extent, Stephen, that the Pac-12 has done a really bad job with their media strategy. The fact that they went silent wasn't good but i also am like well wait a minute is it poor form for you know like in the nba for the blazers general manager to go you know i wouldn't mind having uh you know nikola Jokic on our team and and you know you'd get fined for that and people would say that's unprofessional it's tampering or whatnot whatnot so i just i the you know the idea like that i have i have sources within the pac-12 footprint who work on these campuses who are in those meetings who have told me, hey, San Diego State, SMU, Colorado State, they would not give me the fourth school. And I don't know why. Why do you think the fourth school is such a mystery? Like, what would be the reason to keep that fourth school quiet? Like, they didn't want that out there. They, You know, they would tell me SMU, San Diego State. They told me UNLV was not a candidate. They told me Fresno State and Boise State were not candidates. But why would that fourth school be held so close to the vest, so to speak. I, I've wrestled with it. I think it has to do with some kind of courtesy that the Pac-12 sources I'm talking with are extending to that school because they have respect for it. And it makes me think it's Gonzaga. And, you know, I could be wrong, but it makes me think that because Gonzaga is the only school that I think fits that criteria of, you know, they respect it, it's a private school, it's in the Pacific Northwest. It's you know it's in the Pac-12 footprint, and they don't want to cause any waves there. But I think Ray Anderson is if they don't take SMU, he's causing some waves unnecessarily. I guess 
I'm just seeing it as not that professional. Do you, do you think it could be any other school from a con- that's already in a conference right now? Could what? be. And it could be that, why. too. Okay. It could be that. Like, think on that on the break. Uh, all right, coming back, we're going to give away some Mariners tickets. I'll give you the question right out of the break. At the home of the truth, back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, on Monday's show, we told you about a new feature we're doing. We're giving away Mariners tickets. I am going to give away two pair of Mariners tickets, not to the same game, so you get to go to two different Mariners games this season. And here's how we're going to do it. Uh, I'm going to tell you uh, uh, on Mondays, you know, to pay attention to the 5 at 5. Anna was on Monday's show during the 5 at 5, and she talked about a variety of different things, but... One of the stories that she mentioned had to do with a NFL player who is headed to the broadcast booth. Um, if you would like to win those Mariners tickets, call in right now at 503-417-7575 and tell me who she was talking about and uh, who's headed to the broadcast booth, former NFL player who is going to be broadcasting. What position he plays and who he is. Two pairs of Mariners tickets to the first person that tells us who this person is. So every Monday, you'll listen to the 5 at 5, and generally on Tuesdays when I remember, we will give away the tickets. Uh, as you know, it's Wednesday, uh, which means I forgot yesterday. Um, Anna, by the way, is uh, a part of this because she's suggesting the question that we should answer, so I appreciate that as well. But we've got a bunch of people calling in. And in fairness to you, John, yeah. I, I forgot too. So it's not not all your fault. <laughs> no. You know, I'm going to take a little blame. It's my job as well to remind you. I forgot. Uh, so th- th- we're sorry. Yeah. Well, I don't put it on you. I, <laughs> I I'm the host of the show. I should remember what we're doing. And I even thought about it yesterday. And I remember when uh, station executive said, hey, do you want to do this? I said, I'm going to need a reminder. <laughs> I got too excited. I thought the Blazers got Victor Wimbanyama. I mean, come on. I was in <laughs> I was in a frenzy. Right. I, couldn't, right. I couldn't talk. So on Monday's show in the 5 at 5, Anna said, this person is going to make a foray into the broadcast booth. Who is she talking about? Let's go to the phone lines. Let's start with Michael, who is listening to this show in Salem, Michael in Salem, who did Anna say is headed to the broadcast booth? He was a punter, and his name is Pat McAfee. Unfortunately, and he's leaving a job where he's making hundreds of yeah. million dollars to do this. Unfortunately, that is not correct. I know what you're saying. McAfee is taking his show to ESPN, but we the question the five at five on Monday, Stephen, did you do you know who the answer to this? I do. Yeah. Yeah. The 5 at 5 on Monday, Anna said, um, you know, this person's going to the broadcast booth. And uh, Pat McAfee's show, technically, the caller's right, is going to ESPN. But it's not Pat McAfee who's going to the broadcast booth. So uh, that would be an incorrect answer. It is a good try, though. Um, I think the caller probably was trying to answer the question but didn't listen to the 5 at 5 on Monday. 
Uh, I don't think this one's that hard. Let's go to Tyler, who's in Oregon City. Tyler in Oregon City. On Monday's show, who did Anna say is going to the broadcast booth? Was that Matt Ryan, quarterback? That is correct. Matt Ryan, quarterback. And I want to give you a correct round of applause here. Uh, Stand by for it. I should have had this ready. There you go. Hey, congrats. You're going to go to the two Mariners games. We'll do this every Monday. So everyone who called in, please know Monday's the day to listen. Tuesday's the day to call. But, Tyler, who's going to these games with you? Do you know yet? Um, Probably my girlfriend, if I can get her out of the house. <laughs> if you can get her out of the house. what is that a difficult yeah. thing to do? Uh, Not necessarily. She's just not a super big sports person. But I think just being in a baseball stadium might change her mind. Yeah, you got to make it an event, you know. You take her, you tell oh, yeah. her, hey, you're going, you're going to dinner. You want to go shopping, go to dinner. And and she says yes, and you take her to the stadium, and you uh, you know you have you guys have a date, turn it into a date. Oh, absolutely. All right, I'm going to put you on hold. They'll get your information. Congratulations to Tyler. Thank you to everybody who's calling. Phone lines were lit up. Uh, that's my first run at it. I'll get better at it. Um, full disclosure, I went back during the commercial break and listened to the five at five from Monday because I was like, what day is it? Uh, I have too too many children in my life and uh too many things swirling around but uh did you know it was matt ryan right away steven uh yeah i did i didn't know okay. it was Matt ryan because we were talking in that segment about like when a broadcaster's really good you forget that they were a football player like a former player turned broadcaster when they're really good at their job at some point the viewer forgets that they were a player now i, I haven't done that with tony romo but you know, I know Michael Strahan, and I know some other former players who have been legends in the broadcast booth. I brought up Frank Gifford. Um, I think you can look at, um, you know, a guy like Dan Deerdorf, who played in the NFL, and, you know, people just thought, oh, he's he's just a broadcast. No, he was a former NFL player. John Madden, I think he made people forget at times that he was a former coach. And, uh, and I think, you know, will Matt Ryan be a good broadcaster? I'm going to give him a chance. I don't know if he's going to be worth a damn, but I'm going to give him a chance and an opportunity to do that. Um, all right, we are going to do the big splash here. We do this every day on the show. What is the one thing that you need to know? Well, we're going to give it to you here, the big splash. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The big splash. Well, this is a uh, splashy one in college basketball. North Carolina transfer Caleb Love had committed to Michigan, but now he's reopened his recruitment. This report breaking uh, just a bit ago, he committed to the Wolverines last month, but now apparently there's an admissions issue related to credits that he was trying to transfer from North Carolina to Michigan. St. Louis native now becomes the best available player in the transfer portal. Remember, he initially chose Michigan over his home state, Missouri. Six foot four guard, averaged about 17 points a game. Good shooter, shot uh, nearly 38% from the field. And a former five star recruit uh, is a Nike guy. He's viewed as a Nike guy. There's some speculation that he could end up at Arizona. There's some speculation that maybe Oregon is in on this. He feels like a seven figure player. As you look at uh, 
the possibilities. So we, keep we, an eye. We forget yeah, two ahead. years ago he led uh, North Carolina to the national championship. Like he was the point guard. So he is that good. He's a good player. And uh, you know, obviously there's a there's an academic issue with some transfer credits here, but I'd like to see him with Tommy Lloyd at Arizona. And I keep an eye on that as this uh, as this unfolds. But really good player. And uh, by the way, Michigan's had a really tough time. Lost a couple of starters to the draft. Their big man went to Kansas. Uh, Juwan Howard struggling to get some players and get them in school now. Well, as we have figured out, you got to pay attention during the five at five. There will be no Anna in this five at five segment. She is uh, on the road, traveling, visiting her dad, which I'm happy about. I just saw my parents over the weekend. I, uh, you just never know. You never know how many times you're going to get to see your parents. So. Happy about that. She literally texted me right now. She said, I would join you for the 5 at 5, but she happens to be on a train. And she said, uh, if I uh, tried to do it, I think people would think I was weird. We don't want anybody thinking you're weird. So I'm going to do the 5 at 5. We're going to banter about the five biggest stories going on. I'm still kind of interested in what's going to happen with Caleb Love, who was at North Carolina, decided he was going to Michigan, and then now his reversed course. The Michigan Admissions Department apparently rejecting some of the credits. Um, Arizona and Tommy Lloyd, keep an eye there. Um, keep an eye. Uh, Oregon, Dana Altman. I mean, he's a Nike guy, but he could be a seven-figure player. We'll keep an eye on that. Well, I've got five stories, five big stories. I don't know if they're the biggest stories in sports, but... Uh, we're going to talk about a bird that died, among other things, and it'll all be part of the 5 at 5. The 5 at 5. Well, let's start with the Milwaukee Bucks. They let go of their coach, and they are now searching for a new one. Kelvin Sampson, University of Houston coach, apparently interviewing for the Milwaukee Bucks head coaching job. Now, Sampson has been in the NBA, he spent six seasons as an NBA assistant, including three with the Bucks before going back to college basketball and putting together a Final Four contender at Houston. Kelvin Sampson won nearly 76% of his games in nine seasons at Houston, four straight berths to the Sweet 16, made the Final Four in 2021, where he knocked out Oregon State, and his team was ranked number one in the country for uh, a big swath of last season. Uh, Kelvin Sampson has done it in college at Houston and Indiana and Oklahoma and Washington State. But uh, we talk about a coach moving from the Big 12 to the NBA. That is a different kind of jump. And Sampson, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say it is, but but we've seen this before. And I think we've talked about this numerous times, just the world of college sports and coaching, how it can get so tiresome. In the NBA, it's about coaching, right? And Quinn Snyder is a good example. He was successful at Missouri, but by the end, he wasn't very good. He goes to the NBA, and then he was a highly sought-after coach. So, like, I think it's an interesting pro approach that Milwaukee is taking by interviewing Kelvin Sampson because X's and O's wise, the guy can get it done. And I think in the NBA, that's really all that matters. And I think, do you think that basketball is an easier sport to go college to professional like you know we see coaches in the nfl struggle chip kelly among them uh in basketball I'm not saying everybody has been successful because there are some examples of guys like jerry tarkanian with the spurs did not work but 
Do you think it's an easier transition? Basketball. <sighs> no, I don't. And I, I said this yesterday. A lot of times these NBA players, they won't respect coaches unless they win a championship, but they won't respect you until they win that championship. And it's hard. And they can't get the respect unless they get that championship. So I, I think for Kelvin Sampson, like it's going to be tough right away. And I think it's, I think coaching the NBA is very uh, underrated. I think people think it's very easy. It's not, you got to deal with a lot of people and you look at doc rivers. He's a great person, uh, people person, not great. X's and O's, not great adjustments. They get blown out and he gets fired. So I, I think it's a very tough adjustment from the college game, to the NBA game. I just think it's more about the court, uh, on-court thing than it is off the court uh, compared to NBA at the college. Shifting Nuggets, Lakers. This is my number two story. Uh, Denver Nuggets held home court, held serve on home court. 132-126 last night in game one of the Western Conference Finals. Uh, Nikola Jokic is how it sounded. They've cut it to 11. Jokic just gets it off in time. It's up. Oh, it's good. Of course it goes in. Jokic from downtown. Anthony Davis just stares at him. The breathtaking performance from Nikola Jokic continues. 31 points, 19 rebounds, 12 assists. Even the desperation shots go in. Jokic finishes with 34 points, 21 rebounds, 14 assists. Outplaying Anthony Davis, who had 40 and 10 for the Lakers. Uh, game one went to the Nuggets, but if I was a Lakers fan, I'd feel okay about it. I, I felt like... The Nuggets won that game in the first half. Lakers kind of came on in the second half. And Lakers just need to get one in Denver to tip this series on its head. But Nikola Jokic took care of business, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And, you know, with this being said MVP-wise, do you think it's time we start voting for the MVP after the finals, uh-huh. after championships? Because, like, obviously Jokic has proven he's more valuable than Joel Embiid was, right? I, I think, it, yes, yeah. And I've always been confused by that. Like, you know. But I get what the league's trying to do. The league wants to make it an award based on the regular season. They want other players and teams that maybe don't play deep into the playoffs to feel like they have a chance, and they want to give away a second award for the postseason. Um, Yeah, I understand it, but, yeah, I I think it's, you know, I don't think Nikola Jokic seems upset about it. He's just out there, you know. The thing that impressed me the most about his game was the 21 rebounds, you know, because he's playing against a player in Anthony Davis where – you're not you're not necessarily going to get a bunch of cheap offensive rebounds in that in that game, and he has 21 against Anthony Davis's 10 rebounds. The thing about Jokic is he's not quick, he's not fast, but he's sneaky. He's got a sneaky, quick first jump, and you see that when he shoots his little floaters in the paint. He does that on the rebounds too. He quick jumps you, and he gets the ball before you do. It's very impressive uh, what the guy can do for not being a great athlete. Pat McAfee in the news. You heard the caller earlier saying, hey, the Pat McAfee show going to ESPN. McAfee says people are mad about him going to ESPN, but he sees it as an opportunity to change sports media. This is my number three story. It's a very, it's a cool thing with how passionate people are and how mad people got. But I think we have a real opportunity here to change sports media as a whole. Mm -hmm. Because just like Stephen A and Skip had success and everybody wanted to replicate it, if we're able to get in there and showcase 
that hey, you're able to cover sports in a celebratory fashion, in a way that you're happy for people, as opposed to trying to prove why people shouldn't be in the position that they're in. I think there's a chance that that could maybe ooze in to other decisions that are being made. And we have a real opportunity here to change a narrative, I think, about an entire division of people, sports media. And I, 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 think, it's, I think it's one that I'm incredibly honored to have. Pat McAfee is good at what he does. I think part of what makes him good is the authenticity. I also think that um, there's a chance in going to ESPN that he's, you know, that he's selling out for the money here. And, you know, and look, he's not the first to do it. Um, ESPN is assembling a star-studded lineup, though. It's not just Pat McAfee. You know, I read a piece today about, you know, McAfee kind of being on the set as they were doing some promo stuff, and it was just this, you know, murderer's row. is like the, the 27 Yankees of sports media that they're putting together. And I think part of the incentive right now with some of what we're seeing in the media landscape is related to the fact that, you know, you've got a bunch of different entities that are going streaming. And I think ESPN wants to be well-positioned in the moment where they know they have to lean on their content to really carry them and bring audience to their streaming platform. And so, you know, we we may see this as, oh, you know, people are mad, he's going to ESPN, but, you know, the Pat McAfee show is going to be a podcast, it's going to be a YouTube show, and it's going to be a linear show at the same time. It's never been done before, and I think he's good at it. And, you know, I want to, uh, you know, I, want, I just want people to kind of back up and go, what, what's really happening here is there's a recalibration this isn't about him trying to be Stephen A. Smith or Skip Bayless. This is about ESPN knowing that he has audience. And if you have audience, you have value. And that's really what it's about. And he he's very entertaining. Do you think this – we've kind of seen it already with Draymond Green, his show. Is this just going to make it so it's much more open to have your own show or podcast as an active player or recently retired? Like, is it just going to open it up that much more? I think that it opens the possibilities, but I think, you know, J.J. Reddick is out and has done a nice job just in the studio setting that he's in, but now we hear him, like, interviewing for a coaching job, and, you know, now I'm kind of wondering when I hear him speak, is he is he still auditioning for the coaching job, or is he really doing his job? So I, I think those opportunities have always been there. I, I remember years ago, it was a couple, few summers ago, that FS1 was doing this thing where they were having a bunch of radio people from different markets fill in. Softy came down to L.A. one day, and he filled in. Softy from KJR. They had me come down you know, from Portland to fill in on the FS1 set. And I remember being in the green room, and it was Frank Thomas. It was Andy Roddick. It was Gabe Kapler. I mean, these people were just kind of walking around um, and being, you know, and I was thinking to myself, like, you know, Frank Thomas wasn't in there because he's great on air. Frank Thomas was in there because he was good on air, but he also brought audience with him. And I think Pat McAfee, his real value is that ESPN is hoping that it, that McAfee's audience will migrate with him. Do you That's what it's really about. Do you think that it's gonna his product's gonna get watered down? It's very adult. They curse a lot. Yeah. He said yeah. he said the one thing they can't do is say the f word anymore. Like, is it going to be a lot more censored and watered down now that they're part of Disney? Yes. And they have deals with the NFL, they have yes. deals with colleges? Yeah. I mean, the potential exists for all of that to happen. But I don't think, like, it's 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 the American way, right? We're, we're in this capitalist society. You can't simultaneously say you're okay with the transfer portal, but you're not okay with Pat McAfee getting top dollar for his talent. Like, you can't say that. Like, you know, even with this show, like, you know, let's just use our show is a microcosm. If 
you know, we didn't have audience if we didn't bring uh, sponsors to uh, to the table, if we didn't have the following that we have in 15 or 17 years of doing this show, like, you know, they wouldn't want to re-sign me. They wouldn't want to extend this show. They, you know, it's all about what you can provide, what you can bring to the table. And, and uh, you know, the loyalty of your audience is huge. So the loyalty will be tested. You know, Pat McAfee's audience will be tested. But I have a suspicion that the audience will go with him and the audience will be fine and this will be a big overreaction to nothing the people who are mad about it you know uh i you know I, it's funny to me that you know howard stern goes to sirius xm and people go oh he's gonna lose his audience he's going to sirius xm it's a subscription-based thing he won't go no his audience was huge they went with him like i don't begrudge anybody who, who uh, you know, carves their own own path. And uh, Pat McAfee's done a good job. He's, sm- he's smart. He's good at what he does. He's authentic. I think it'll be an adjustment for them on air. Can they do the same show without the cussing? I think they can. Jerry Seinfeld, he didn't cuss as a comedian. Still pretty good. Blazers got the number three pick in the NBA draft last night. This is my number four story. Joe Cronin, the Blazers GM. Said he had an adrenaline rush when he saw that Detroit was at number five and that Portland had moved up. That's the one where, you know, it's, you're tracking it, you know, and you're saying, okay, eight held court, seven, six, when five hit, it's like, okay, we jumped, you know, and then it's, well, we're going to commercial while well, there's a whole nother, whole nother round to go here. So, but it's exciting. That jump up is a rush. That jump up is a rush. Joe Cronin saying, when Detroit uh, got to five and Portland had moved up, uh, he got an adrenaline rush. The Blazers sitting with the number three pick in the draft. I wrote it today at johnconzano.com. I think they should trade Damian Lillard, not the pick. Don't mortgage your future. I hate to see a team give up the number three draft pick and a young player potentially bringing marginal talent in return. I know Joe Cronin's got a job to do, but it was puzzling to me that the Blazers went public, to, you know, last night, shortly after the draft lottery, with their, uh, you know, wishes and with their marketing pitch to fans that basically said we're building around Lillard. They basically said we're trading the pick. Did the pick lose value, Stephen, the minute the Blazers did that, or am I making too much of it? I think you're making a little too much of it. Um, I do think that just the fact that. The Hornets got the second pick and have a point guard, and Scoot Henderson may fall to three. I think that's what brings the value up. Uh, but you talk about Joe Cronin and the adrenaline rush. He saw dollar signs. He saw a new contract extension because Victor Wembanyama would have probably got him all those things. He's that good of a basketball player. So that's why the adrenaline. But it's too bad they didn't get number one. But I do think um, that number three pick will be traded. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with it. I know you don't agree with it. But I think that's what the Blazers' path is going to be. And they kind of said, said as much yeah. yesterday. Because, but see, here's my problem with them trading it. Like, look, I I like Damian Lillard, and I think the, the Blazers will be fine just meandering along, you know, saying they're going to rebuild around him, you know, rolling it back, running it back for another season. Fine, that's fine, okay. And and trying to put a veteran player around him, that next to him, that's fine. Older players around him, great. It works for Lillard. Maybe they're a little more competitive, but what's the ceiling of that? You know, let's just say everything goes right and they get a better than expected player in return and you know uh, you know somebody steps up and you know, let's say Shaden Sharp takes a, a a big step forward I think then we're all looking ultimately at what the Blazers are a six seed you know like 
you've just given up the three pick and maybe Anthony Simons, and you've gone from the lottery to a six-seed position, is that worth it? Is that worth giving up part of your future? Because if you keep the pick, and let's say you take Scoot Henderson, and let's say you uh, turn Anthony, Anthony Simons into um, you know, a, a, a role player in a future draft pick or something, you know, the salary's matching. You know, I don't know what's out there for him. I don't know what the market will be for him. But if you, if you make every move with your future in mind instead of, hey, we need to get better right now, I think it's an easier way to operate, and I think it's a smarter way to operate. But I don't think that's what the Blazers are designed to do. It's just not in their DNA. Cronin's going to make his money. This is where he makes his money right here. What, whatever he decides, this is it's got to be good. It's time to be aggressive if he wants to be aggressive. If he wants to be aggressive and go for a rebuild, that's great too. But he's got to show the aggressiveness. He has some assets to work with. This is. It, it, I said this yesterday, John. It's put up or shut up time right now for the Blazers. Like It, it has to be now. I, I keep thinking about what Danny Ainge did with the Celtics, right? Remember the Celtics were supposed to be in the top two picks of that 07 draft. They were supposed to get Kevin Durant or Greg Oden. That's where they were. They were in the lottery. They were well-positioned. The ping-pong combination didn't go their way, and they ended up uh, having to regroup. And Ainge, instead of sitting around going, you know what, I'm going to feel sorry for myself, he did construct a winner, and he traded for Kevin Durant, and he teamed up Ray Allen and Paul Pierce, and all of a sudden the Celtics are winning a championship. Like, he did that. I watched him last September. He made that deal with Donovan Mitchell. He got three first-round picks in that deal, and he swapped picks and improved the draft position for the Jazz in that deal as well. And I was looking at that today, and I was like, you know, know, it was a news story, but I'm really interested to see what Utah's going to do with all the draft capital that they assembled. What what could Damian Lillard bring back in return, and and what will be – his value two years from now if you're a Blazer fan. And I think at some point, I don't think the Blazers have it in them to, 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 to make that decision. I, I, I think they're incapable of going, we need to trade Lillard. Like, I don't think that's in their nature. So I don't think Jody Allen, uh, I, I frankly don't think she's engaged to, in any of, this, the, any of the stuff that's going on. And I don't think Burt Cold really knows what's happening. And I think Joe Cronin is there and he's put in the work and he's you know he's got a great story as this intern who's risen to the general manager position but he's not as networked as a veteran general manager in the league like Danny Ainge who knows all the agents who has relationships who had who has the ability even in Salt Lake City to kind of orchestrate some deals so I'm a little concerned that the Blazers would even like Joe Cron- if I'm Joe Cronin I wouldn't want to trade Damian Lillard because you have the potential to look bad in that deal. Like, if, for his career. Like, if I'm his friend, I'm whispering in his ear going, hey, just run this back. Just try to get it, you know, be aggressive and try to put somebody next to Lillard. And, you you know, you could you could end up looking okay here. It's the safer move to build around Lillard. But the right move for this franchise and for the fans is to think two, three, five, ten years out and go, hey, Shaden Sharp looks like a keeper. Um, the three pick, the three pick could be a keeper as well. All right, moving forward. Finally, my fifth thing in the five at five. Uh, let's talk about uh, tonight 
in the NBA. The Heat at the Celtics. Who you got? Game one of the Eastern Conference Finals, Stephen. Uh, I'm going to take the Celtics to win, but I'm going to take the eight and a half points that I get with Miami. I think uh, Spolstra, the better coach. I'm going to go with Eric Spolstra in this one and take the points. You're taking the points, but you like Boston at home in game one. That's the five at five. Coming up, uh, we will uh, talk a little bit more about the NFL. The NFL, what are they doing? What is that? What are they doing selling a playoff game to a streamer? Well, there's some reports out there that this is a strategy move by the NFL. And it is designed to create leverage. I'll talk about it coming up. You got the bald face truth statewide. I appreciate everybody listens to this show, by the way. I appreciate you. Uh, if you listen to the podcast as well, make sure you share it with friends and family. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. This show will be giving way to a live soccer broadcast. Is that right, Stephen? Is that what we're doing? That is correct. Yes, uh, Timbers taking on Real Salt Lake, I believe. We got the announcers in studio right now, so uh, Fletcher's getting ready to go over here. Oh, you got Fletch there? We do, yeah. Does Fletch want to pop on real quick? Yeah, he's, he's putting his mic on here. I'll get you I would up. love to talk to Fletcher Johnson. It's been a while. How are wow. you? Wow. Wow. <laughs> How are you, man? Good. What's going on? Good, man. I'm enjoying this warm weather we're having, and uh, Timbers are starting to play better. So uh, things are things are looking up. How about are, you? What do you? What do you think of these people, these Oregonians who are walking around complaining about it being warm after complaining all winter about it being cold? Yeah, you can't have it. You can't have it both ways, right? Like you gotta you gotta soak in the sun when you get it, um, even if it might be a little warm for May. You still gotta you still gotta enjoy it. I'd say. What about you? Um, I think we should all have stun guns, and if they say, <laughs> "Oh, it's so hot," we just zap them, and then you know they You'd go. You'd be dangerous with that thing. <laughs> Look know. out! I know. Uh, <laughs> so, what's going to happen here? Uh, coming up in a few minutes. Are you going into pregame? Are you going right into the game? What what happens? Yeah, we'll have pregame for an hour. Adam Sussman will be here uh, leading us through the pregame show. And then myself and Aaron Heinzen, who played for the Timbers back in the uh, A-League days, will uh, carry you through the broadcast beginning at, uh, what, 5.30? Cause, yeah, oh, 6.30, excuse me. It's 5.30 right now. Been a long day. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Fletcher, for people who don't know, Fletcher Johnson was – forever in a day sitting in the seat that uh, Stephen Vaughn is sitting in now. Do you have any advice for Stephen Vaughn? I mean, he's been doing it for a while now, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, he could probably give me some advice with how no, long he's been sitting in that you seat. You were in there a, quite a while, though. Were you not? Like, I was. How many years? Yeah. I was. You know, I, I, I was fortunate to sit in that chair for a while. It was a lot of fun working with you, and uh, I think it's uh, just a matter of figuring out what you want to do and, and pursuing it. I mean, I think uh, you told me... One of the best pieces of advice I feel like I ever got was, uh, and I don't know how this will go over, but your job doesn't love you. Uh, so, you know, do your work, yeah. be good, uh, but remember that there are still other things in life that are important as well. So that's, I guess, yeah. uh, the advice that I would pass along since that's the advice yeah. I got from you. I was talking to myself mainly when I was saying that because, <laughs> uh, I, because we all get guilty of that, right? Like, you know, you have children, yep. you have a wife, you have a life outside of work. I have the same thing. And- you know, I Anna says this to me all the time. She says, you know, you, you don't get a lot of time with the kids. Like, I see them in the morning, and then what happens? They go off to school. It's not like you're in a classroom with them all day long, and so you got to make that time count. Yeah. And, you know, we had Kalen DeBoer on earlier in the show, the Washington coach, and that's really what struck me is he was talking about the fact that he has two daughters. One of them rides horses. One of them plays softball. 
And I could hear it in his voice. He was saying, you know, I wish I had more time with him. But unfortunately, like the job of a college football coach, <laughs> NIL, transfer portal, you know, practices, weight training, all meeting with boosters, doing media interviews with Yahoo's like me, it takes up your whole day. Dude, is there a worse profession to, like, have personal time than being a college football coach? <laughs> I, I, you're probably right. I always <laughs> think I used to think basketball coaches were worse, but I think the college football major college football coaches have more demand. Yeah, it's changed. It's changed the dynamic in the last five years with the transfer portal too. I mean, I think at least you could get away with. All right, I get like a month or two. What like after the season ends, after signing day in February, usually get a little bit of time before spring football starts, and it's like not anymore. Yeah, and I think you know Jonathan Smith at Oregon State's got a good balance. He does show up to his kids' games. He jumps on the trampoline in the backyard. And I think Dan Lanning, his children are young enough that he has a balance. But, you know, the guy who I thought about when you were saying that, Fletch, was Mario Cristobal. I don't think Mario Cristobal did much other than be a football coach and recruit and, re- and say things like relentless all the time. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, yeah, look forward to your broadcast. It's good to hear your voice, my friend. Yep, and good to talk to you. Let's catch up. Absolutely. Okay? Let's do it. All right. All right. So stay tuned if you want to hear the Timbers pregame show starring the great Fletcher Johnson. If you uh, are looking for a podcast of this show, you can grab it wherever you get a podcast. Um, Earlier I teased the idea that Paramount is going to stream an NFL playoff game. I read a story today, and it appears as though the NFL is doing that as a defensive move. Why? Because they'll have to negotiate with Amazon for renegotiating Thursday Night Football. They wanted another player in the room. So keep an eye on that. We'll talk more about it tomorrow. The bald-faced truth not here for a long time. Just a good time.